The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. I'd invite you to turn to Luke chapter 16. And last week we tried to focus on the abundant life and pressing into the straight gate and the narrow way and the constriction of that narrow way that leads to life. The end destination of that is a fullness of enjoyment of the abundant life. But that emphasizes that that is a challenging thing to do for the children of God because there are a lot of obstacles that prevent us from really laying hold on that abundant life. You know, it says there in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, where it introduces that, it tells them and encourages the disciples of Christ, who the Sermon on the Mount is directed to, to enter into the straight gate. But then it says, many go in at the broad, uh, the broad way and the wide gate. <clears throat> And it says, because. So what is the reason why a lot of people get enticed to not press into that abundant life? What is the cause of that? Because the gate is straight and the way is narrow. In other words, when that, when that constriction starts making you get rid of things, when, when you start having to, as we're going to see here, press into the kingdom, and the persecution and the affliction in a natural sense that is associated with that. Now, you receive spiritual blessings that are beyond expression by pressing into the kingdom. But you have to give up some natural things. So when you get to the point where, where you're trying to press into that gate and then you realize like that rich young ruler did, oh, wait a minute, I can't take all my riches with me? I can't take my covetous with me? And then you get ready to put that down. And there's a lot of people that just aren't willing to give it up. Children of God walk around miserable because they're not willing to lay those things down. Why do many children of God uh, live in the broad way in many, in many instances in their life when, the, when they should not? Why? Because the gate is straight and because the way is narrow. Because you have to press into the kingdom. You have to press into the kingdom. It's not easy. <laughs> the wide gate is easy, isn't it? Uh, it's wide, isn't it? I mean, you can, you can bring anything you want in that. <laughs> you don't have to lay anything down to press into that, into that way and that gate. You don't have to give up anything. It's easy. It's what comes natural in our flesh. But when you have to start, give up some things, though, and you start pressing into the kingdom, many children of God struggle with that in discipleship. So this morning, we want to focus on pressing into the kingdom. We have many admonitions to enter into the kingdom, but I want us to realize how focused and concentrated and diligent we have to be to press into the kingdom because you will not press into the kingdom by just putting discipleship on autopilot and on default. That's how you end up like the Laodiceans being lukewarm, okay? That's what happens when you put it on autopilot. You have to be purposeful. You have to be energetic. You have to be zealous to press into the kingdom and Satan does not want God's people pressing into the kingdom. And this world is going to afflict us, and our flesh is going to... There's a lot of obstacles to pressing into the kingdom. 
And because it's hard, because it's hard, many of God's children don't want to take the hard way. They want to go through the wide gate. That's easy. It's easy in our flesh. Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 14. And the Pharisees also, who were covetous, heard all these things, and they derided him. They derided Jesus. And he said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. And that's a good thing to be reminded of too, by the way. This is not the point of our message or our topic today. But woe unto you when all men speak well of you. That's what Jesus said. uh, You're going to get into a lot of problems as a child of God when you start going with the flow of the culture and the world around you. Because that which is highly esteemed among men, it's an abomination before God. Okay? Verse 16. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached and every man presseth into it. Okay? Verse 17. It is easier for heaven and earth to pass than one tittle of the law to fail. The law and the prophets were to John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached and that was the ministry of John the Baptist, wasn't it? What did he begin preaching? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then Jesus begins his ministry. He's baptized. He goes in the wilderness to be tempted. And what does he begin preaching? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. Now, this is a great example of rightly dividing the word of God, isn't it? Does every time that we see all and every and world and all these things, does it always mean everybody without exception? We know better than that, don't we? First of all, we know that every man uh, without exception is not pressing into the kingdom. These Pharisees who were tempting him in verse 14, they sure weren't doing it. Uh, There were children of God that uh, followed Jesus for a period of time in his ministry, but then things got tough. They purged them out, and who was left at at the end of Jesus' ministry? Just 120 folk. You think there was only 120 elect folks on the face of the earth (coughs) when Jesus went. No, there wasn't 120 elect folks, but there was only 120 people that were diligently focused to press into the kingdom. So it's very evident that every man without exception is not pressing into the kingdom of God. But as it is many of the case with those all-inclusive terms, it means every man without distinction. Not every man without exception, not a 100% certainty, but every man without distinction. Now let's go to Matthew chapter 11. And this is a discussion about John the Baptist. John the Baptist has got discouraged in prison. And it's just amazing uh, to, to be reminded of how easily God's children can become discouraged in the way. Think about Elijah who's calling down fire from heaven and those 850 false prophets and he defeats all of them and he goes and kills all those false prophets and then one wicked woman Jezebel threatens him and he runs off into the wilderness and hides under that juniper tree and says Lord just take my life he's suicidal one day removed 
one day removed from this mighty victory, but a little bitty obstacle, a little bitty threat, and he'd received threats his whole life from Ahab, right? I mean, he'd been threatened for three and a half years uh, from Ahab. But that one little thought, just one little threat, just uh, he just crumbled. And now John the Baptist, who baptized Jesus Christ and heard the voice of the Father say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He gets in prison. He gets a little depressed. And he says, are you he that should come or should we look for another? He, he's the one that heard the voice of God the Father say, this is my beloved son. And he got discouraged and everything just crumbled. And then God, Jesus, was so loving and gracious. Go and show God, John again. <laughs> Remind him of what he already, that's what you need uh, when you're discouraged, by the way is you need to be reminded of what you already know. If that will be a good minister, stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. You know, back when I was first ordained, I felt like I had to, felt like I was mining for gold and I had to find some new, not, not, not new doctrine, but, but I needed to find something over here in Zephaniah or something in Isaiah or, or some some verse because I mean we got to preach 52 times a year I mean I got to come up with something fresh right uh, that's new and and you know what if you study God's word God will show you things that you didn't see before but now uh, now that I'm an old seasoned minister of being ordained seven years tomorrow by the way uh, now that I'm an, an old geezer uh, an old curmudgeon now now I'm reminded you know what what I really need to do is just remind people of what they already know. It's not about finding some new nugget. If you're studying God's word, God's going to give you new nuggets, all right? But it's not about finding some new fancy way of presenting something because, you know what, walk in the old paths, right? But remind God's people of what they already know. And that's what John the Baptist needed to be reminded of. He got discouraged. He got down. And, and, and Jesus said, go remind John of what he already knows, which is that the blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached unto him. Blessed is he, and whosoever shall not be offended in me. Now that's important when we get in here to pressing into the kingdom. All right, now let's get down to... Verse 11, and he gives a very good commendation of John the Baptist here. He even says here in verse 11, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Wow, what an amazing condemnation from the, from the words of the Son of God, right? As far as being faithful to serve the Lord and having no pride. I mean, think about John the Baptist when... Um, his disciples were all concerned about Jesus and his apostles. They're baptizing way more people than what we're losing our following. We're losing. And John's like, praise God. Because that's the whole reason I came is to lose my following. <laughs> the whole reason I came was to be the forerunner of Jesus and to be the voice of the friend of the bridegroom. The whole reason I came is so that he must increase, but I must decrease. And don't you love that humility of John the Baptist, that his disciples were all concerned about, what are we doing? We're losing all of our people. And he says, great, I'm doing my job. <laughs> I'm doing exactly what I was called to do. He must increase, but I must decrease. But 
Even though John, who had that great humble disposition pointing toward the Christ, behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world, notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he, right? How about that? The least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than the greatest among men. Now, what are the reasons, part of the reasons why this is the case? John the Baptist didn't have the privilege of being baptized, did he? He was the one, uh, and that's what he's, uh, he told Jesus when Jesus came to be baptized. I should be baptized of you. And he said, no, 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 suffer it now for righteousness sake. And I know, I know uh, you have the right attitude in that, but suffer it now um, because John, and by the way, John died. He stood up to a corrupt government figure of Herod and condemning an inappropriate relationship, and he literally lost his head for it. He was killed before Jesus cried out on the cross, it is finished. You know, his ministry was, behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. That, that was his ministry. He was pointing toward Jesus taking away the sin of the world. But he did not have the, the privilege that we have today to relish in the gospel of the finished work of Jesus. He knew it was coming, right? He knew what was going to happen, but he did not have the privilege of, first of all, hearing and believing the gospel of salvation by grace alone that we have been saved by nothing more than the blood of Jesus. It is finished. He, he was pointing toward that, but he did not have the privilege of preaching the gospel that I can preach today that we are past tense, ED done, saved by God. Not we shall be saved by grace, right? I can preach we are saved by grace. And he did not have the privilege of being baptized. By the way, what's the first step of entering into and pressing into the kingdom? It's baptism, right? It's baptism. It's professing a public belief in Jesus Christ and entering baptism. But then when you get up out of that, those waters of baptism, that's when you really press into the kingdom for the rest of your life, okay? So, notwithstanding, he that is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. Verse 12. <clears throat> and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Because Jesus has been, has been saying consistently in his ministry, that uh, my kingdom is not of this world. And if, if, if it was of this world, my servants would fight, right? And obviously we're told to love our enemies and turn the other cheek. We don't have the right to physically attack people that may even hurt us physically. We don't have the right to do that, okay? But he said that the violent take it by force. Now, that word violent is the exact same word that's used as pressive there in Luke chapter 16. It's the exact same Greek word. What it's saying there is there is a focused, intense, energetic zeal that we should have in pressing into the kingdom, and there is nothing that is going to detract us from the focus of our goal. You know, the mental image <laughs> that I've had of this, this... Uh, this pressing into the kingdom and the violent take it by force is these people who are, uh, this is back in the day, uh, 20, 30 years ago. It's not as applicable nowadays. These people that show up on Black Friday 
And they are, you want to talk about pressing into the straight gate and the narrow way, right? Now, that's not even applicable nowadays because <clears throat> they have all these sales that start on Thanksgiving night, and you can buy most of them online, and they have Black Friday sales for like the whole month of November. But back in the day, right? Y'all know this. Back in the day, <laughs> before the internet, before Cyber Monday and, and all this stuff, back in the day, there were folks that showed up at 5 a.m. And, and when they opened those doors, boy, you want to talk about the violent taking it by force to save $10 on a toaster, right? <laughs> and what's so sad about that is I, they had a zeal. <laughs> boy, they had a zeal. And there wasn't anything that was going to detract them from them, to the best of their ability, <laughs> getting their prize and you know what? If somebody else got that prize, there were a lot of assaults that took place, right? I mean, people probably went to, I don't know if they charged them, but people should have went to jail over some of those videos I've seen uh, of people having these fights on Black Friday. But those were people that had zeal, which, by the way, isn't it just pitiful how lukewarm Christians are in America? How many of those people were born again, children of God, that probably didn't even show up to church that Sunday? But boy, they had a zeal <laughs> to go in and save uh, a couple dollars on some insignificant item, but they had zeal though, didn't they? And they wanted to, they wanted to make sure they were there first in line, you know, get up at, you want to talk about commitment and devotion in a negative way. Uh, you know, people can't show up to church on time, but they'll wake up at 2 a.m. to get first in line for, uh, for the, Black Friday doors that open at 4 a.m., right? And those same people, they sleep in on Sunday. Uh, it's pitiful. But those people were focused, right? Boy, and they had us in. They pressed. Those doors opened. And boy, they pressed into those doors. And there wasn't anything that, that was going to. You had to be very. I never did any of that. Uh, but you, you had to be very efficient. You couldn't just go get whatever. You had to go immediately uh, to what you wanted. Right? You had to pick and choose. You couldn't just go stroll around. You had to go immediately toward the thing that you wanted. And it's funny how focused uh, those people were, uh, that, that, that they were pressing into uh, the doors of Walmart uh, to make sure they got what was their heart's desire, unfortunately. So what's this, what this is presenting is a zeal, right? A focused zeal that is going to um, encourage you when, when a lot of obstacles come in your way, okay? Now, let's begin. Um, let's go to Matthew 23, <clears throat> first of all, um, to look at some of these obstacles that are in our way of pressing into the kingdom. Now, we're making our way, hopefully, Lord willing, next week we may arrive there uh, to the parable of the sower. And there's a lot of obstacles that we see there in the parable of the sower. We see on the wayside, Satan is always trying to prevent God's children from, from laying hold on the abundant life and living that, that life of authentic, sincere discipleship with the Lord. So we see the wayside there, and Satan is there trying to quench the preaching of the gospel. But then you have the stony ground, all right? The stony ground, and... They receive the word with joy. They receive it with gladness. But then when they start applying the word of God in their life, that they, the, the gospel hits them 
when they're living probably not the most godly life, but now they say, I'm going to apply the Word of God in my life. I know that I should not be. Let's say if someone uh, is convicted of sin and they're living with someone outside of marriage. Well, I don't need to do that. I, don't, I need to uh, get a different place. I need to get... Well, when you start applying that, there's going to be some friction, particularly with that other person you've been living with for who knows how long. So when you start applying the Word of God in your life, there's going to be some friction. There's going to be some persecution. So this is what happens with the Stony Ground people, and it says they have no root in themselves and they endure for a time, but afterward when affliction and persecution ariseth for the Word's sake, immediately they are afflicted. They start applying the Word of God in their life, and now all of a sudden I'm having all these problems I didn't have before. Everything was nice and comfortable and cozy and 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 you know uh, I was maybe being uh, cutting corners at work and didn't have any problems with it. But now all of a sudden I feel convicted about that, and I'm having to be uh, I'm not padding my numbers anymore at work. Uh, there's so many different areas of life that when you start applying God's word, it's gonna it's gonna cause problems in a natural sense. It's gonna cause friction. And then when that applies, when you start applying the Word of God, these people aren't stable enough. They aren't strong enough. They don't have their, their roots have not got deep enough. And unfortunately, they fade away. But notice this language here in Matthew chapter 23 and in verse 13. One agent that Satan will use, certainly Satan is always trying to prevent God's people from pressing into the kingdom. And we have our flesh we have to condemn with, and then we just have the general disposition of the world. But God will use, uh, excuse me, Satan will use wicked people to try to prevent God's children from pressing into the kingdom. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 13. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for ye neither go in yourselves, and neither suffer ye that are entering to go in. Now, uh, for those that deny that there is a time salvation in the scriptures, you have a lot of problems in scripture, and you definitely have a problem with this scripture. You're telling me that these scribes and Pharisees are preventing people from going to heaven at the end of time that were bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus? You think that, that these wicked men are going to prevent one of God's children? That's like these Pharisees. He says there in John uh, chapter 10, none of them can pluck them out of my Father's hand. That's, that's saying one of these Pharisees can reach into the hand of God the Father and take one of these children out, and, and that they can't go into the kingdom of heaven because of these wicked Pharisees that are preventing them from entering into the kingdom of heaven. You know they can't have anything to do with eternal life, can it? No, it has to do with our experience of the kingdom of heaven right here, right now. And boy, wasn't there a tremendous persecution of these first century Jews when they confessed Christ. They said they were cast out of the synagogue. You remember, what was it, John chapter 9, that that blind man, that Jesus healed him, and then they went to his parents to say, was this man blind? And they essentially said, we're going to plead the fifth, you go ask him. And the reason they did that, because they were terrified of being cast out. And it wasn't just, oh, you can't come to church on Sunday. That wasn't the point. No, you are ostracized. If you owned a business, you just went out of business. If you, you were self-employed, if you were cast out of the synagogue, you, no Jew would do business with you. Okay? 
that are, those are the repercussions of confessing Christ in the first century. And you know what? Don't you know that there were a lot of children of God that were convicted and desired to follow Christ, but they were afraid of being cast out of the synagogue, right? They were afraid of their family being totally destitute and them having no money, and therefore they just kind of kept it to themselves. Those, that, silent, uh, that silent remnant, similar to Elijah's day, you remember Elijah said he's all by himself? And he said, no, you're not all by yourself. I have reserved 7,000 people, 7,000 men that have not bowed their knee to the image of Baal. Well, <laughs> where were those 7,000 people when, when Elijah was standing by himself against those 850 false prophets? Where were they at? They were sitting at home because they were too scared to stand up with Elijah. How many children of God in, these, in, in the first century were afraid of these scribes and Pharisees, and they wanted to press into the kingdom, but they just couldn't fully sell out because they were afraid, I can't, I mean, I love my kids. You know, I, I, I'm not going to be able to feed my kids if I'm cast out of the synagogue. I'm not going to be able to, to transact any business. I mean, I can't even go over, over here and buy a loaf of bread if I'm on a blacklist. I mean, you can't transact business in Judea. And these scribes and the Pharisees, notice this. It didn't say that they shut up heaven, the kingdom of heaven, and they wouldn't let anybody in. Notice this. <clears throat> Neither suffer ye that are entering. You see, those were people that they were going into the kingdom. They were pressing into the kingdom. But there was a big roadblock that some people weren't able to get over. Okay? <clears throat> In Acts chapter 14, the Apostle Paul has just finished being stoned. They cast him out of the city here in Antioch and Iconium. Well, actually, certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium followed him to try to, excuse me, to persecute him. <clears throat> And then, having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing that he had been dead. So they are actively trying to physically kill Paul because of him preaching the gospel. But then he makes his way to the next city. He makes his way. He's kind of doing a return circuit, if you will, if you map this out uh, on his uh, travels and ministry. He's making the return trip to all these cities. They returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, verse 22 of Acts 14, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. Now, that was not just a theoretical message, was it? <laughs> He's like, no, I was stoned and left for dead in the last city that I was at. Now, the church always thrives under persecution, always. We look at this, we look at this, and we're like, 
you know, this would be a deterrent to anyone, you know, <laughs> Joel Osteen's book, Your Best Life Now. Uh, what was Paul's book of your best life now? I was shipwrecked. I was stoned. I was beaten uh, three times, uh, 39, 39 times. You know, these are all the things that I gave up. How would you like to sign up to press into the kingdom with me? Like, that was Paul's message, right? I mean, I mean he said, look, these are all the problems that I have. These are all the problems that I have. And, and I gave up. He said that in Philippians chapter 3. I gave up. Being a Pharisee, I gave up. The fast track to the set. I gave up all of these things that, that men put a priority on. And I could count them, but dung. Why? What, what, what was his selling point? He said, look. I gave up all these things, and if you want to, if you want to sign up to be a minister with me, you're probably going to be stoned. You're probably going to be shipwrecked. You're going to be cast out of the synagogue. Everywhere you go, you may have people trying to kill you and running out in the middle of the night in hopes that people don't kill you. This is what you're willing to sign up for. How many people would like to join the church today? <laughs> and we would look at that and say, you know what? I'm okay over here in the wide gate, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I'm okay. I'm okay living my, my comfortable life. But what's, a, what's so amazing about the early New Testament church is they heard that, and what happened? 3,000 people joined on the day of Pentecost. Five, the very first persecution, by the way, this is in Acts chapter 4, the very first persecution when the apostles were cast into prison. It's just a beautiful, go over there and read that, by the way. When you have time, they, they heal this lame man and, and they preach this message. And as they are, are getting uh, Peter and John, I believe, there, as they're hauling them away to prison, in the exact same scene, Peter preaches this message, in the exact same scene where you have them being hauled off to prison, the remaining apostles, the, Peter and James or John are being hauled off over here to the left, but over here on the right, you have 5,000 men that say, we want to join the church. <laughs> you see that? So we look at this and we're like, man, you can't get anybody to join the churches with this kind of a message. <laughs> I mean, isn't it interesting? <laughs> he didn't come back. The first time he went, he said, most likely. You're saved by grace. Jesus finished the work of salvation on the cross. There ain't nothing that can save you. Ain't nothing that can, uh, that can uh, prevent you from being in heaven with him. Uh, but when he came back the second time after he'd just been stoned, he didn't remind them of salvation by grace again. <laughs> what did he remind them of? He's like, buckle up, boys. Buckle up. Because now is when discipleship gets real. Now is when you're going to have problems. Now is when, through much tribulation, you're going to have to press into the kingdom. But what was Paul's selling point? Again, these are all of the natural problems that theoretically you're going to have. But what was his selling point? He said, I'm willing to give up all these things. For what? Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8. For what? For the excellency of of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. I keep up all of them things. Why? That I may feel the fellowship of his sufferings. That I may know Christ more fully. And, and I'll tell you, we are so lukewarm 
as a Christian society that you can't get anybody to join the church by saying you will have a richer fullness of knowledge of Jesus Christ. This is what we have to offer. We have the gospel. We have the joys of the kingdom. We have a closer fellowship with Jesus than you will ever have at anywhere else. And what do they say? Okay, where's your softball team? Who's, who's leading your praise band? People don't want Jesus. They want to be entertained. They want the church to look just like them. They want the church to look just like the world. But what happened in the original church? They didn't have all the distractions that we have. And they were willing to press into the kingdom. They were willing to lay hold on eternal life. Through much tribulation, we will enter into the kingdom. Okay, let's go to um, Matthew chapter 18. So you have the contrast of... <clears throat> You have the contrast of the violent take it by force, right? These really intense. But then, but then you start, uh, I guess, um, getting this very haughty attitude, kind of like uh, the Sons of Thunder, James and John had. You know, they said, hey, there's some people over here that they're casting out uh, devils in your name, but they weren't following us, and we forbid them. I mean, we, we, we rebuked them. And Jesus said, you've got the wrong attitude. You think if people are not with us, they're against us. He said, no, that's the wrong attitude. If they're not against us, they're for us. <laughs> I mean, if, if someone is not actively trying to persecute you, they're not against you. <laughs> they're not against you. And then those are the same sons of thunder who weren't happy with a couple people, and they said, Lord. And <laughs> by the way, this may have been why they wanted to be the lieutenants. Everyone was worried about who's going to be number two in the kingdom. Those sons of thunder, one of the reasons why they may have wanted that power and authority is because there was a time they wanted to call down fire from heaven to consume people. <laughs> they may have said, Lord, can we be your vice president? Can we be second in command? Because we get tired of these people who aren't, aren't acting right, and it sure would be nice to have the authority to call fire down from heaven and consume these people. Uh, and that's why the Lord obviously did not give them that authority, right? <laughs> but you have, this, you have this intensity, right? You have this focused intensity, and then... Sometimes we can get a little bit too brash with that, and we, we can be a bull in a china shop and say, it doesn't matter what people think. Have that, have that sons of thunder, James and John kind of attitude. But then the other side of this that, that calibrates the violent take it by force is that in Matthew chapter 18, verse 3, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you be converted and come as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom. So, so sometimes we, we get this attitude that I'm going to press into the kingdom. It's about me being a bull in a china shop, and it doesn't matter who gets in my way. Yes, you need to be focused, and you need to be willing to endure much affliction. But then the other side of that is the humility and the sincerity and the just quiet, gentle love of a little child. And he says, except you be converted... And which, by the way, I skipped over verse eight, uh, verse one of chapter eighteen that introduces this thought. The disciples said, "The disciples said, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Right? Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven?" And in their mind, it's the 
and this is how it's viewed in Christianity today, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is Billy Graham. It's some powerful preacher. It's somebody who's wrote a book and sold thousands of copies. You know, someone who's very, uh, very well-known and popular. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Well, Jesus said, let me show you who the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is. And he picks up a little bitty child. All you prideful men, look at this little bitty child sitting here in my lap. Except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> so then he continues on here in the 18th chapter giving the children, child there as an example of humility and meekness. Then he teaches on forgiveness, forgiveness of the, the brother, makes his way over to Matthew chapter 19. And then he has a discussion with the uh, it's the Pharisees here uh, about divorce and, and marriage. But then he makes his way to verse 12. Okay, Matthew chapter 19, verse 12. For there are some eunuchs which were so born from their mother's womb, and there are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men, and there are some eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. See all these references to entering into the kingdom of heaven? And he that is able to receive it, let him receive it. Now, a eunuch is someone, primarily through a surgical procedure, is not able to have children. So it says some were made, uh, were born so from their mother's womb, they didn't have the physical ability to do it. But unfortunately, some people were made eunuchs of men. They were taken against their will and they were made eunuchs. And typically those eunuchs were made to serve queens, so there was no sexual temptation there because they had been... Uh, castrated. But then there are some eunuchs, and they haven't had a physical medical procedure, but he says there are some eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. Think about the Apostle Paul, right? He went out of his way to say in the Corinthian letter, I have the right to marry. I have the right to marry, but I choose not to for the kingdom's sake. And don't you know, uh, I think one of the most overlooked uh, no doubt, godly people in all of the New Testament must have been Peter's wife. Because, boy, she kept the home fires burning, right? While Peter was off serving God in the ministry. But don't you know that many things that Paul endured, him traveling everywhere, him being thrown in prison, him how do you think that would have squared with him having a wife and having 10 kids at home? You understand, right, that he would not have been able to do what God called him to do as the most prominent, important apostle in the New Testament church, he could not have done that if he had family obligations back home. And, he's, and he had been given a contentment that this is my calling. And that's why he says, he that is able to receive it, let him receive it. I mean, not everybody's called to that. Paul was called to that, and he was content in the station that he was in, and look how God mightily used the Apostle Paul when he chose to be a eunuch for the kingdom's sake, right? Okay, now, continuing on here in Matthew chapter 19, now we're introduced to the rich young ruler right after this, okay? 
right here in the sequence. Now the rich young ruler shows up. And we know this account very well. The rich young ruler is a child of God. It says in Mark's account that Jesus, beholding him, loved him. But then he says, good master, what good thing should I do that I may inherit eternal life? You need to obey the commandments. Then he gets down to the heart of the matter. Hey, one thing thou lackest, go and sell all that you have. In other words, um, <clears throat> he thought that he was obeying all the commandments, but there was one little last commandment that's number 10 that apparently he was either self-deluded and he didn't realize it or he was just confused. And that last, the number 10 of the 10th commandments is what? Thou shalt not covet. He was covetous. He thought he had obeyed God's commandments, but he was covetous. <clears throat> and aren't you glad for the, uh, for the probing and convicting spirit of God? Because you may, I feel like that he did not understand that he was covetous. He didn't, he didn't understand he was covetous. But then, after his interaction with Jesus and the Holy Spirit and Jesus zoning in on the real problem, it was a great blessing that God showed him that you think you're obeying all Ten Commandments, you may have the other nine licked, but you are blatantly disobeying, thou shalt not covet, right? And aren't you glad that God is so gracious to probe our lives to find those areas and show us where our shortcomings are. It's a very scary prayer to pray where it says in the Psalms, search me, O God, and know my heart today. Create in me a clean heart. If there's, if there's some area of my heart that is hidden with some secret sin, Lord, cleanse my heart. And what a blessing when God shows us what our real problem is. Now, what's so sad, though, is God did that with the rich young man. He showed him what his problem was, but then he either denied it or he said, you know what? That, that gate's too straight. That way's too narrow. I, 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 can't, I, I can't give up what I have. I mean, it says he was young, but I can't give up what I've built. You know, some of these people that have built a company and Millionaires, billionaires at a very young age. I can't give that up. What are you talking about? I can't sell all that I have. Now, God doesn't call everybody to, uh, to sell everything they have. But the problem was there was something that was preventing him. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. Seek you first the kingdom of God. Seek you first the kingdom of God. There was something that was messing up his priorities. And God said, look, you got to take care of it. You have to to get your priorities right. But at least at this moment, he was not willing to do that. <clears throat> so then he went away sorrowful, verse 22, for he had great possessions. Verily, verily, I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now we know there's a lot of rich men that have a lot of money in the bank or possessions back in the day. Um, that have walked very closely with the Lord, right? So it's not about how much money you have, but notice that a rich man, not a man who has riches, but if your primary identity is your wealth, you're going to have a very difficult time giving up that wealth to press into the kingdom. Now, it doesn't say that a man with riches can't enter into the kingdom, 
but a rich man's going to have a hard time. Why? Because just like the rich young ruler, they don't want to give it up. Again, I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, what do you think the chances are of a camel going through the eye of a sewing needle? Zero. Right? And then the apostles are bewildered, right? Because I think that they knew this man. I think he was a very well-respected member of the community. I think that they knew that he was a good, moral, godly man. And I think, again, they were always, Jesus was always one step ahead of everybody. I think that they had their mind on eternal heaven, not the kingdom of heaven. And they're like, if this guy isn't going to be in heaven, if this isn't a child of God, then who is? They had, I think they had the wrong vision of what Jesus was saying there. Jesus wasn't saying rich folks can't go to heaven. That's not what he was saying. He was saying rich folks are going to have a hard time pressing into the straight gate of discipleship. That's what he was saying. But then I think they knew this man. They said, you know what? He, he is a philanthropist. He has money, but he uses it for good. We know this guy. He's a good moral man. You know, Peter had a lot of problems. He may have said, this guy's a better man than me. He's a better, better moral man than me. And then they say, well, who in the world can be saved? If you say this guy's going to hell, see, again, they're thinking eternal. Uh, if you think if this guy's going to hell, who in the world can be saved? <laughs> and then Jesus said, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And that's true in eternal salvation, but it's sure enough true in the kingdom of heaven too, in time salvation. The only way that we can be willing to give up all these things for the kingdom is through the overwhelming power of God that convicts us to do it, right? I mean, a natural man is not going to give it up. The only way that someone is going to be willing to give that up to receive this temporal salvation in the kingdom of heaven, the only way that's going to happen is if God makes it possible. Isn't it good to know that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? But I hope... I hope I've told you all this enough now that when you read Philippians 4.13, you immediately go to John chapter 15 and verse 5 where it says, for without me you can do nothing. Right? We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, but without God we can't do anything. And that includes faithful discipleship. It's not just up to you to, to say, I'm going to do the best I can. Well, the best you can in and of itself isn't going to be good enough. But thankfully, God is gracious that he works in us both to will and to do with his good pleasure. And his good pleasure is always for us to press into the kingdom. Okay. <clears throat> A few more verses I'd like to highlight very quickly. <clears throat> Luke chapter 9. A lot of these things have to do with priorities. You see, it's not about going to heaven. It's not about... Um, what we have to do to be in heaven at the end of time. That's solely by the blood of Jesus, okay? But if we do not put the kingdom of God first and foremost in our life, we will inevitably get distracted to not lay hold on the abundant life and press into the kingdom in the manner that we ought to. So now what we see here, these are not bad things. Luke chapter 9, it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will father thee, whithersoever thou goest. Now, the Holy Spirit goes out of its way when the Pharisees and all these people, when they are, they're not sincere, the Holy Spirit goes out of its way to say, they said this tempting him. 
Okay? This man's not tempting him. Who's the only person that's going to make a statement like this? Who's the only person that's going to say, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest? Who's the only person that's going to make that statement? A born-again child of God. Right? That's the only person that would have a desire to follow Jesus. And Jesus said, all right, sounds great. Glad we got one more disciple. Foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Are you, are you ready to be signed up to be homeless? And it doesn't say what happened, but it appears that he wasn't willing to sign up to be homeless. Okay? He said unto another, follow me. And then he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. That, that's, that's a reasonable responsibility, right? But it's a matter of priorities. He said, let the dead bury their dead. Go and preach the kingdom. Now, th this is a bigger deal than just joining the church. This is a man who's called to preach. Which, by the way, <laughs> if he's called to preach and he knows he's supposed to preach, he didn't get a call to preach the day his dad died. You hear all these people about how they ran from the ministry for all these? He's known for a long time. This guy's known for a long time that he's supposed to be preaching. He didn't get a call yesterday. No. The Lord's been working on his heart for a long time if he's called to preach. But he said, no, I can't do that. Well, you know what? Even if you get, did go do that, go take two days, bury your dad, and then come back. But he's using that as an excuse to say, no, I can't follow you, Lord. He, he's not saying I can't show up to one meeting. Jesus said, follow me. So he's saying, leave what you're doing and, and now your life is devoted to follow me. And he said, no, I can't do it because I have a short-term, one or two-day commitment to bury my father. Okay, go take care of that. I'll see you on day three. But he used it as an excuse, right? <clears throat> and then another one said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first bid them farewell, which is at my home. I mean, that's reasonable, right? But it's a matter of priorities. It's a matter of commitment. No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. All right? <clears throat> Luke chapter 14. Um, this is a bigger parable um, that we don't really have time to consider, but he gives a parable here. A certain man made a great supper, and then they have all these excuses for why they can't come to the supper. All right? And the excuses are, verse 18, the first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground. I must needs go and see it. I pray thee be excused. The next person said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I go to prove them. I pray me be excused. And another person said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Now, you need to take care of business, which by the way, I don't know if they're not telling the truth or, or not, but if you uh, decided to buy oxen, you probably should have proved them before you bought them. Okay? Otherwise, you're probably, your business is probably going to fail pretty quickly anyway if you're buying oxen you've never seen before. <laughs> I mean, that, so either he's lying or he's just a bad businessman anyway. <clears throat> All right? But there's nothing wrong with taking care of business. There's nothing wrong with marrying a wife. But it's a matter of priorities, you see. It's a matter of priorities. And then he kind of gets to the heart of the matter. <clears throat> Verse 26 of Luke 14. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother wife and children and brethren and sisters and yea his own life also he cannot be my disciple and whoso doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple now it's obvious that it's not 
our calling to literally hate our father and mother. No, we're commanded to honor our father and mother. He's talking about priorities. You see? He's talking about priorities. And I want to read Matthew chapter 10 that I think gives more, more clarity on this statement. Matthew chapter 10. It's not a matter of loving one and hating the other. It's a matter of priorities. Matthew 10 and verse 37. He that loveth father or mother more than me. Okay? He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He that taketh not his own cross and followeth after me, he's not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. So you have a lot to give up in a natural sense to press into the kingdom. But when you really get it, we're making our way to Matthew chapter 13 and those kingdom parables there in Matthew chapter 13. And it talks about a hidden treasure. And when the man finds that treasure for the joy of the treasure, he says he sells all that he has and goes and buys that field. A merchant man who's seeking for a, for a goodly pearl, and he finally finds that one perfect, precious pearl, and he says he sells all that he has to get the pearl. When you get the treasure, when you get the pearl, giving up these things is such a small price to pay for the joy that you have with Jesus in the kingdom of heaven, okay? It's a matter of priorities. There's a lot of things that can distract us from pressing into the kingdom. Good, godly, wholesome things, but they can't be the primary thing, okay? But then there's a lot of things that aren't just good and wholesome. There's Satan and wicked men that are trying to prevent us from pressing into the kingdom. And it takes toughness. He says, quit you like men. It takes a toughness. It takes a commitment to remain faithful when tribulation comes. The easy thing is to throw in the towel. The easy thing is to be the stony ground. That's easy in our flesh. That's the easy thing to do. What's hard is pressing into that 100-fold good ground discipleship. That's what's hard. Through much tribulation, pressing into the kingdom. And I pray God will bless us and strengthen us to press into the kingdom according to His will and by His grace. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.